You're listening to the Substandard Model. Gods of science, hear my prayer. There is some podcast out there to show my mind the way to go. Teach me all the things nobody needs to know. It's so beautiful. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, my friend, you are in luck, because science doesn't give a fuck. It makes you laugh, it makes you cry, and there is no good reason why. But then you have Henry and me, fresh into university. We've been good friends since we were small, but now he's over six foot tall. So if you're feeling curious too, hungry for a fact or two, we certainly hope that we can feed you. From the depths of Wikipedia, so welcome to the substandard model. Welcome to the substandard model. Like, oh, whatever, who cares about oil and water? Apparently, uh, it's like Netflix for your uterus. Oh, oh, it hurts so bad. I did not think of that. I'm going to look it up. They're covered in acid. They reverse backwards into the hole and they plug it with their ass. Scientists did that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we need to think of some funny intro to this. It's like the music ends, your beautiful thing. You made the solo end. That was. And then okay. there's a round yeah. of applause. And then it goes quiet. And then I come on stage and I say, um, hello. hello and welcome to the substandard model. Hello and welcome. Right. Um, Sam, you're making a new theme for this. Right? <laughs> God. Yeah, that was it. Didn't you hear it? <laughs> wow, that was quick. You made that right on the spot there. I am um, making a new theme for this. And and I, I was okay, so I'm making a new theme for this and, and I don't know what it is yet. I have zero ideas. But whether it's really bad or really good will affect whether what I'm saying now is funny. And I hope I'm hoping that this is gonna be playing directly after my new theme and my that my new theme is gonna be um you know, groundbreaking. Like in the world of music, like all original. I I might have to find. I mean, are you expecting like me to get a garage band? What I'm, what what? I'm, what I'm expecting is slow guitar. Really, I don't know. I I don't know what else you're really going to bring to the table. I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting multi-layered guitar solo. You know, amazing drum and bass in the background. I'm just expecting like, doom, 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 doom. You know, something like that, right? Because really, that's realistically all you can produce, right? Yeah, and I have one acoustic guitar. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, how much can you make off an acoustic guitar? I mean, you could do the. You could do the Doctor can, Who thing where they where they I just can, go around recording random sounds and then like <laughs> remix them. 
I can definitely write a song on the guitar, but it wouldn't quite match our sort of seventies. The rock original aesthetic. It doesn't. We don't have a seventies aesthetic, do we? We have a seventies rock aesthetic based purely on the royalty free <laughs> music we... <laughs> choices that we've made. <laughs> Things I put that new. The trailer is no longer seventies rock anymore. Anyway, the Doctor Who, the original oh, yeah. recording, the original sixties recording, they have like mm-hmm. pig swine like oink noises. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. They have like that, and then they just like add that in. They it's have like... a special instrument with the finger where it goes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Cool I mean, obviously they have speak. that because that's like the main thing. But they just chuck in loads of things, like you know, scraping tiles against each other and all sorts of <laughs> the sound of hand cream coming out <laughs> of the bottle or whatever. Right? Yeah, I'm saying, like, can you do something like that? <laughs> just have like a music genius moment. Just like a, a sort of music concrete piece where it's like me unplugging and plugging my computer and yeah. then like turning on and off some lights. And yeah. it's just like <laughs> very sort of Captain Beefheart-esque. <laughs> this could go one of two ways. It could be like Jesus music from Peep Show. Or... <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's exactly what it's going to be. I'm leaning into that aesthetic hard. There's going to be... Oh. oh yeah oh my god the stuff where it's like i showed it to the record That's people and uh good news is they didn't like it um <laughs> <laughs> well you'll see you, you will have heard it so hope you like it also listeners beware that we are we are drinking a lot more beer from now on than we did previously wow. um <laughs> I, sorry, I am drinking a lot more beer than I did previously, and I am joining Sam on the beer cruise. <laughs> Sam is drinking a similar amount to what he was drinking before. I'm drinking the same amount. I mean, I mean, the last one, what was the one where I talked about um, quantum physics for too long? Bells and Equalities. That one, I, I, had, I had a lot more beer than I, than I am, am now. I think it, I think it makes How me... How many beers were you I think, it, I think it makes me smarter. This is just one. One measly little bells inequalities. On that, I had I had two and a half cobras, and cobras are large. Oh, these are six sixties. Like, the old six sixties, yeah. Yeah, so that's what like five three thirty mils of beer. That's the one. I, I mean, it's getting I'm... you there. It's getting you there. It was tasty. Do you know what I discovered? Desperado, the one What's with that? tequila in it. It's beer, but it's got tequila in it. Oh, and I don't know about it's six percent. It's not. It's, Is that it's, a lot? It's, it's, it's a common brand, but it tastes kind of nice. It's like kind of sweet. I don't. I drank one okay. of those, and then I promptly drank. They serve it to you in water spoons with a in weather spoons. Water, water spoons. I keep calling water spoons. <laughs> water spoons. What the hell is water spoon? In water stones? Is that you mix water stones with weather spoons? Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> it's because I went to fuck uh, water stones today. You're it's such hard. a lad, Henry. Just out on out on the town in water stones, you know, get a few pints. Pop into foils later. Oh. <laughs> what was I even talking about? It's nice. They serve it to you with a lime. I don't know. It's like a real. It's like a real. I don't I want to say. I don't want to say Mexican. It is probably Mexican, right? It's called tequila. In I don't. I mean, what's it called again? Desperado. It sounds sounds vaguely. You've probably seen Central it South American. I don't know. Uh... I don't think so. I only order the beer that Tesco Club Card puts on offer, which at this moment is San Miguel. <laughs> How's that? Um, I don't know. I can't really tell the difference. It's a tequila flavored pale ale. Where 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 does it say where it's from? Origin France. What the fuck? It's not from France. <laughs> I, I guess it's French. I guess they got you. 
despite exactly having what they a sombrero over the logo. <laughs> right, anyway. God, we're a science podcast. Oh, Jesus. Don't worry, I'll cut, I'll cut a decent amount of that. Yeah. Right, Henry. You know how... um. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know you know how people often describe our chemistry as as electric you know you know what else is electric uh electrochemistry no, no a little something called electrophorus electricus now if i had to make you guess what what, Electroph- what animal electrophorus yeah. electricus yeah what animal is, is that an electrochemical electrophor- it is an electric eel wow and um so um electric eels now well, how much do you know about electric eels? I like, I like uh, to start with they, they can, yeah. you know, they've got little pimples in their skin and they're black and they live in shallow marshland and they're pretty big. And if you touch one, you get electrocuted. And yeah, it causes kind of, all but... your muscles to seize up and then you drown. Ooh. Is that yeah. what happens? I mean, it can. I mean, okay. They deliver, they deliver 600 volts, which is ridiculous. That's like a lot more than the mains. And you hear that and you think, shit, oh my God, they could probably kill like 30 people, but they only have one amp. And I'll get to why. I'll get to, I'll get to why in a bit. But first, I just want to give you some background on electric eels. So they're closely related to catfish, but they're technically knife fish. You know, they live for about 20 years. Knife they're not fish. true eels. Yeah, knife fish. Who like named fishes? Can fish. I just fish? Sorry. Who na- catfish, <laughs> doorfish. Hagfish. I mean, hagfish, yeah. I'll be honest, What's all fish look relatively similar. They're all kind of, you know, fugly, right? But <laughs> fish, are, fish are ugly. If I thought, if you thought fish were hot, that would be more concerning to me. Like, fish are ugly. But um, sorry, I'm not talking about electric eels enough. First of all, I'm going to start with how they produce electricity, which is probably the least interesting part. We use electricity all the time in our body. Everything that we like doing involves electricity. Moving our muscles, you need to move a lot of calcium around and you get you get action potentials. When we think, when we do any of this, it's electricity. So it's not actually very difficult to make electricity if you're an animal. What this guy does is they, they essentially just are really good at it and they channel it in a special way. So they have these things called electrocytes, which are specialized muscle cells. And what these are is they basically have loads of extra potassium channels, lots and lots of extra calcium channels as well. So when you send an action potential there, when you do a nerve and you tell your electrocytes to do an electric, then they basically just discharge and you create a brief moment of potential difference. And if it was just the one, it would be big deal. We do that all the time. But they have loads of electrocytes and then line them all up. And this is the key part. They line them all up in series. Ooh. So what the that means adds. is that the voltage adds. So that because they line them all up in series, which our nerves aren't really lined in series, they're at all the ends of all these different branches. But elect- these electrolytes are lined in one big long line, right? And that line is, well, that's along the lateral line, really, which is this big line that most fish have, which is essentially mechanoreceptors, so they can detect vibrations in the water. And it's thought that because these essentially to, are to do with electricity anyway, because they're nerves, they probably evolved from those. And they've evolved quite a few times in different fish, just in different ways. And what that means is that when they when they activate each electrolyte, it's a cumulative thing, and you can get a really high voltage really quickly, even though the individual electrolytes can't produce that much. And there's a very specific reason why they need to have such a high voltage, because you might think, well, just increase the current. The problem is they live in freshwater. 
So, so they really need a high voltage to be able to conduct they, electricity. Yes. Because there's not very many ions. Exactly, spot on. So they really, really need I'm a high voltage. This. Otherwise, the current, there's just too much. That's called impedance. There's too much electrical impedance, and it means you can't get enough current. So you need to have it in series. Now, there are other fish that can create electricity, right? For example, the torpedo ray is a classic one. It's evolved at least six times. But so what do you what do you think of the differences between the torpedo ray and the um, electric eel, just based on where they live? What, what, what might you expect? I'm trying to think of a torpedo-related joke. So torpedo ray in... blow up on impact. <laughs> no, I should not. It electrocutes you. itself as well as no, 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 no. Is the torpedo ray torpedo shaped? They live in the sea, Henry. Is the they live in the goddamn? Okay, it has less electrocytes. No, lower voltage. It probably does, but they're arranged in parallel. Boom! They're arranged in parallel in the sea. Loads of salt, loads of ions, and people who do any kind of chemistry will know that the water does not collect electricity people are like water conducts electricity guys so you know be careful don't put a toaster in the bath no put a toaster in the bath as much as you like because what conducts electricity is the ions in water you know yeah. they're little little free-floating particles and salty water you got loads of them so, yeah, so stop sweating rays- in the bath yeah stop sweating if, if you weren't to sweating the toaster if you didn't <laughs> If you weren't such a sweaty bastard, it would not be a problem. Yeah. Put, so if you want a, a good way of testing, if you sweat, like, for example, is putting a toaster <laughs> in a bath. Like, you should get Prince Andrew, for example. If you really want to get to the bottom of this whole yeah. Prince Andrew thing, Select. we should put him in a bath with a toaster and just see. Like or like, a, like the old witch trials. Yeah. So we would just like, you know, and he dies both ways. Yeah, let's do a petition so, for that. Put Prince Andrew in a bath on the toaster. <laughs> yes, no, yes. Let's call for Prince there's Andrew's death on the podcast. That's smart. That's smart. I- I'm imagining there's like a sort of small red dot appearing on my head right now. So, but, yeah. <laughs> basically, that's how they that's how they create electricity. Reasonably interesting, but honestly, not that interesting. The most interesting part is why they create electricity. Why do they create electricity? Why Why is it so important to them? Well, first of all, for getting their prey pretty useful right fish if you're trying to catch a fish anyone who's tried to catch a fish with their with their bare hands would know that like it's hard because fish are fast and imagine you don't have hands and you're an eel it's even fucking harder so what's really useful is to be able to stun them right when you electrocute the fish all of their nerves excite at once all their motor neurons excite and they they suddenly go into tetanus they go into like a sort of stunned formation where they just curl up and they can't move because everything is firing because of the electricity you're putting through them. And that means they can't escape. If you're an eel, you can just go and eat them, right? It's pretty cool. Happens mm-hmm. in people as well sometimes. If you get if you touch an electric fence, you grip your fist around it, which is one of the reasons it's so dangerous, because you keep holding on to the, the source of electricity. Yeah. Um now, I'm gonna ask you a question, Henry. So they use they use this stunning um method in order to immobilize their prey. Now, when they're moving through the environment, sometimes they'll just emit quick little electric flashes when they're not even chasing anything just when they're moving around why do you think they do that uh they'll just emit quick little electric flashes even when they're not tasering anything is that to create is it some sort of electrolysis where they're trying to take salt out of the water 
What? Oh no, no, that that would be really cool. Oh, that's so much better than what this is. No, no, this is in order to <laughs> let's say you're you're swimming along past some grass, and hiding in the grass is a little fish, and the fish is like, "Ha, that guy doesn't know I'm here, so I'm fine." Little does the fish uh, know that they, it's about they, to get hit yeah, yeah. with a huge. So they they basically mind control their prey, make them spasm and start flapping around, so they reveal themselves, which is pretty cool. That's yeah. quite 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 you know. That's creative. a good predator. Yeah, it is. He's you got a lot you mentally control your prey to like reveal themselves to you. Yeah, just magneto freeze them. Yeah, it's all very clever. I mean, there's Nikola Tesla in one of his papers on batteries referenced the electric eel, so it's thought that maybe that was part of the inspiration for batteries. But you know, whatever. That, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, there's um, one other thing they use the electricity for, Henry, and you might guess it's the same reason they electrocute us. Charge they their iPhones. Charge their iPhone. They use it for self-defense. Right. right? Is so, offense not um, a good self-defense? I mean, if you're killing the other fish. Yeah, that's they. They are the living done, definition of a good offense. Is a good. If you had to pick a slogan for Electrophus Electricus, it would be "Offense is a good defense." And um, basically, if this is when we try and grab them, they'll electrocute us. We probably won't die, but it's bloody nasty. And there's actually... Okay, okay. This is something that's quite hard to bring up electric eels without bringing up. I wasn't going to bring it up. I didn't want to bring it up. But you've had I a actually, few beers. But I've had a few... <laughs> but I'm extraordinarily drunk. And I've yeah. decided to bring this up because I think it's quite... Okay, I originally thought it was like bullshit and not true, but I'm reading a paper that thinks it's true, so I might as well just say it. And that is this story that Alexander von Humboldt sort of told people, right? And he's, the guy who he's, discovered the Humboldt squid. Yes, probably. Uh, actually, you know what? I don't know. There's a lot of things. You know what? Yeah, it is actually Humboldt penguin, Humboldt squid. There's a book about him called like the like the lost explorer or something he he yeah he was a big deal he was he he discovered loads of things i think this is the same guy but he went to south america and he was he was moving around he'd heard of these electric eels but he, he they were being described by the nais because of course they had so he was just sort of like yeah whatever eels and then um he came across this group of native fishermen and they and they said, oh, we're going to go fishing tonight. Do you want to come? And Humboldt was like, I've seen people go fishing literally everywhere in the entire world. Why would I care? And they said, well, we're fishing with horses. And Humboldt said, what do you mean? So yeah. what, he, what they meant was that they got all these horses and they, they herded them into this little pool, right? And because, because this, is like, this is the time of year when all the bodies of water are drying up, and the pools and pools are getting smaller and smaller, and the eels are getting all congregated into these pools. And certain times of year, the eels actually just like fucking bake themselves into mud and just basically hibernate. And using their own saliva, they can like lubricate themselves. But a lot of things do that. This is the time of year. What I'm saying is the eels are congregated in these tiny pools. And well, essentially, his story is that these electric eels, hundreds of them, started leaping out of the water grabbing onto the horses and electrocuting them in order to defend themselves. So many eels were doing this, and the horses were all distressed. They were, they were getting stunned. Some of them were falling over. Two horses died. Two horses drowned. And the fishermen were stopping the horses from leaving. And there was a whole scene of thrashing and whinnying and neighing and eeling and all this, yeah. horrible, this horrible 
you know, just all this drama. And then eventually, because Henry, one thing that's important to know about electrocuting people is it takes a lot of energy. Mm. It's actually quite, it takes a lot of ATP because you need, you need ATP to pump all the ions out of the cell so they can oh, come so back all in. So all the eels die? All the eels die of exhaustion from trying to kill horses. So you get end up with this big pool filled with reasonably reasonably angry horses, justifiably angry horses, and a bunch of dead eels floating on the surface. And then all the fishermen come down, you know, and pick out the eels off the off the pond and then just cook them and eat them. That's pretty smart. And it's pretty smart. And it's a lot of people smart. think, come on, Alex, this did not happen. But, you know, it might have happened. And there is evidence of eels trying to, well, trying to attack predators that they couldn't reasonably end up killing but just doing it out of some sort of instinct to defend themselves yeah, yeah. they got these like this is fun paper where they got these big crocodile heads and they well, i guess caiman heads and they're like fake caiman heads and they put them in this pond all the eels and his eels just like jumped on them and started trying to electrocute them so it's not impossible that you could you know reasonably expect an eel to try and kill a horse but yeah that's that's this could potentially be a dumb question, but I feel like maybe other people have it as well. How do the electric right. eels avoid electrocuting themselves? Um, is it is it to do with a grounding uh, thing? Or, I mean... I did not think of that. I'm going to look it up. How do electric eels not let... There you go. Well, it was already there. Not, not electrocute themselves. Yeah, it's a common question. Hmm... They reduce the danger to themselves by flexing their bodies in a shape that prevents the electric current from passing through their heart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. That's That's really cool. No, everyone has different theories, if I'm honest. This this expert, Jason Gallen, a zoologist at Michigan State University, says, and I quote, in truth... No one really knows why electric eels don't shock themselves. <laughs> they're just, they're, they're so, expecting it, so they're not surprised. Sometimes if they're electrocuting a fish much smaller than them, they'll, they'll apply a shock that won't kill them, but will kill the fish. Right. Um, so they can, like, they can control how much volts they, they, you know. Maybe the electric eels are, because the horse maybe, you know, it's going for the horse. It's like, I need to go up with the volts, you know, and it just fully right. goes, it kills itself. Uh... Aww. Oh, wait, this one says they frequently shock themselves. <laughs> Evolution is just like, you just got to bear with the pain, man. This is your only defense, mate. And they're just really like, oh, oh it hurts so bad. Oh, get <laughs> shocked, man. Oh, oh, that's just, that's just an electric eel's life. They can kill themselves with their own shock, you know, if they so choose, but they don't. Uh, because <laughs> they're very careful because, you know... <laughs> Natural selection has made them very aware of the fact that they can kill themselves by accident. It says if two electric eels fought each other, they'd most likely both die. And fries will swim close to the head of the father to avoid getting electric shock. Because it means Hmm. if the fry gets shot, sometimes they go in the mouth. The the fry will hide there because if the fry then gets shocked, it means the father also dies. So, yeah, it would be awkward if you were like, look, son, look, I've killed a fish for you. Son, no. <laughs> yeah, no. you're dead. What a hard Basically, life, dude. Electric eels can fully kill themselves very easily. I feel like if I could, if I had the option to just think so hard that I could kill myself, 
Like, that's not good. I don't know. I feel like I would just be curious. Yeah, you shouldn't have the ability to just kill yourself with one of your own muscles. <laughs> it's like, stop my just own heart. Squeeze, like... It's like, yeah. Uh, dead. You're dead. I suppose we can do that. I mean, because we can just r- walk off a building, but that's that's kind of using extra stuff, isn't it? Nah, that's cheating. That is cheating. You have to like go up a lift and climb some stairs. No, this is just sitting in your bed. You're waking up one morning and you're like, damn, I've got a 9 a.m. lecture. Or I could just kill myself. <laughs> you just, <laughs> you just What you squeeze really hard. Suppose you could try and choke yourself somehow. No, your body stops you. You can't just... I mean, I guess it's possible, but it's not... You can't really choke yourself. Yeah. It's quite You'd a lot ha- planning. I think you can, you can do a Vincent van Gogh where you can just sort of do it as quickly as possible before you realise. Like, you could just... I guess if you're really strong, you just sort of really quickly grab your esophagus and rip it out. You can't do that. No one's ever done that. People do that, Sam. Anyway... They grab their esophagus and rip it out. <laughs> this is a science podcast. You um, know someone who's grabbed their own esophagus and ripped it out. Not Please anymore. Please get in touch. Well, if you knew, if you knew somebody <laughs> who's grabbed their own esophagus and ripped it out of their own throat. Please get in touch. Uh, Our apologies for that. With us. Uh, we're very sorry for your loss. My fact, my fact, electric eels can kill themselves. That's really the fact. They can actually kill themselves if they're not careful. Torpedo Ray sounds cooler, actually, to me. Anyway. what? Why? Because it's called Torpedo. No, because it finds stuff by doing little intermittent shocks. No, that was the fucking eel. Oh. 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 I'm not talking, I'm not talking about the goddamn ray. The ray, okay, the ray is cool, but they're kind of the, the, the Wikipedia page is smaller, Henry, so I found it... I found it more of a challenging fact, and I just sort of said, you know what, I could just not. I could just do the eel instead. They evolve it in a different way. So they basically have a battery where they store up a charge potential across one of their cells, and they concentrate it in these little spots. And then suddenly they'll just be like, boop, and they'll That's just like a really capacitor. little. Yeah, kind of. They're different They're different from the um, electrical because they're more of their own series, and also they just, they just do it differently. Yeah, there you go. Electric eels. That's my shortest of the three facts. So have fun editing that. <laughs> because that's most talk. I will. Anyway, bye. This meeting is being recorded. Oh, this meeting. Uh, uh, okay. Um, so this is going to be the fastest fact on the substandard model. It's not oh. super small, actually. Um, okay. I'm going to do it in 10 seconds. What? No, drag yeah. it out. Do what I do. No, no, no. Make no. it unnecessary. Um, I, I want to try it, you know, something new for once. Okay, so All 10 right. seconds. Okay. Three, two, one. Um, you know how lightning rods are kind of inconvenient and we don't like attaching them to buildings? Well, uh, scientists decided they were going to build a giant laser that turns air into plasma, which therefore means that there are delocalized electrons in the air. So lightning travels down these plasma rods with the laser instead of down into your uh, face. So it's basically a, a lightning rod made of air using a giant laser. All right, cool. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll dry that out. Sorry. Uh, guys, like, I, Polytechnique uh, de Paris. I don't know. It's If you want to protect some large infrastructure like an airport or a launching pad or, or for rockets or, or a wind farm, um, then you'd need a, a, for good protection, they say, for good protection, guaranteed, you know, uh cyber protection then you would need uh, a lightning rod of you know kilometers in size or hundreds of meters apparently 
So why not just use a giant laser uh, for when the thunderstorm comes? You fire the laser into the sky. And it's quite cool, actually, because there's, there's diagrams of the laser. They fire it into the sky and you see a lightning bolt will come down. It will curve and arc everywhere, right? And mm-hmm. then it will just arc down the, the laser's um, uh, line of sight. So it travels down right. the, the length of the laser. And the reason that happens is because the laser is so energetic that it ionizes the air turning it into a sort of cold plasma yeah right scientists did that in you know july 2021 so why is my question is why is that laser in any way more efficient than just like a stick of metal uh because the stick of metal would have to be really really big i guess so how tall the lightning rods have to be then uh, apparently kilometers or hundreds of meters that's a quote kilometers. that's a quote no, this is this is for large items like a airport or a launching pad or a wind farm. If you want to give the entire thing protection by one. Oh, I rod. see. So by lightning, we're like, I'm thinking of like Empire State Building thing where there's like a little nubbin on top of the thing, which is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. All the That's fine. You wouldn't. I mean, you could stick a laser on that and that would do the same thing. But okay, but this okay. is for like this is for like a wind farm. So a massive laser is cheaper. Than just sticking a big bit of metal in the sky. Yeah, I mean, they fired it for six hours, apparently, in one thunderstorm in July. Oh, that's true. They could only fire it during the thunderstorm. So that helps, doesn't it? Yeah. Ah. It looks cool as well. You know, lightning arcs down a laser. Well done, science. <laughs> yeah, well done, science. Well, uh, yeah, I thought I got it in 10 seconds. Just like, oh, cool. Yeah, you got it in 10 seconds. Now, are you ready for my 15-minute fact on naked Morats? Are you doing this now? Okay. All right. Okay. Naked more rats. I'm just going to move swiftly on. Um, all right. Okay. Why are, I mean, why would you call it a naked mole rat if all animals are naked? Um, well, you know what? Yes. Let's stop fucking around, Henry. Naked more rats. This is serious business. Naked more rats are genuine. Okay. I knew they were weird. So I Googled them and then I read some of the stuff about them. And I am now going to say they are the weirdest mammal that exists by a comfortable margin. Can we say a sea squirt's an animal? <laughs> no, a sea, a sea squirt's a vertebrate. No, I know that. I'm just saying, does it, you know, does it lactate before it attaches to a rock and becomes a bit of, you know, cucumber husk? Uh, unfortunately not. Oh. Okay, so we, we had a theme though. We had a theme that sea squirt, the weirdest vertebrate, that has the most exceptions. Naked Morat, the weirdest mammal. You know how and I always ask how you come up with person. your facts? Sam, where do you come up with your facts? Well, it's just weird um, animals, isn't it? They're mostly just things I hear, and then I Google them because I think they might be interesting and they end up being interesting. It's not like yeah. one mini thing. And That's because your life is right. more varied than mine. Anyway, um, <clears throat> naked mole rats are the weirdest mammals. Why? Yes. What about platypus? So the- no, no, no. Just stop. Stop. Just You can't imagine. No matter what you say, the answer is weirder. Okay? They're a burrowing rodent native to, like, Somalia and, like, bits of Kenya. They're closely related to the Blesmoles, right? And the Blesmoles are named for, like, these little African mole rats, which are not naked, and they just sort of look... They look equally disgusting. Naked mole rats look absolutely disgusting. Quick description of why they look so disgusting. They're quite small, sort of small mouse-sized, entirely naked, look like a big scrotum. They have no eyes, just sealed-over eyes. They're like kind of fuzzy and furry in a horrible way. Their tail is like really rigid and gross. 
they they they're all like they they look all awkward in their movements. They move backwards and forwards equally. They've got those weird like pointy, snakes. sticky out teeth. Yes, yeah, so their lips conceal behind their teeth. What? Like they've grown their teeth out the front of their face, and they can close their mouth, and their teeth are just coming out of their face. But how do you? How, what? They do that so they can use their teeth to burrow, and they don't accidentally eat loads of soil. So they just close their mouth. <laughs> their teeth come out from their face, and they use. Your like nature's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's horrible. That's, That's wonderful. Not even, that is the least weird thing about them. Okay. okay. What? Name me one one thing that mammals have that you can be confident about. Some things, some traits about mammals, Henry. Name some traits, and I will tell you that pretty much all of them are fucking not the case with this horrible little scrotum of a mouse. Uh, nipples. No, I don't, probably. Keep going. Uh, uh, Zoom warm out. Warm-blooded hearts. No. Uh, no They're not warm-blooded. Oh. They're not warm-blooded, Henry. They're not warm-blooded. That They're is cold-blooded. They're, They're cold thermoconformers. Blood. They're ent- almost entirely ectothermic. Why would you? Why? <laughs> I don't know. They live on the ground, so it doesn't matter too much. You're, pr- you're pretty, basically. The temperature's pretty the, constant. One thing that describes, this is, I'm going to describe most of the weird things about making more rights in a couple sentences. I'm going to explain why they're so weird. And it's because if you live underground your whole life, you stop needing the things that most mammals need. So you slowly lose them. That can also mean that you can just gain some also weird benefits almost by accident. That's kind of what has happened. So they've lost the ability to really change their own temperature. They do they do regulate by like behaviorally, so they'll cuddle or they'll go in areas where it's really cold or hot, but there's not a lot of differences in temperature where they live because they're just constantly burrowing. If I didn't mention that, they are constantly burrowing. They never see the light of day, or at least they hope not to, unless some researcher pulls them out, in which case yeah. that's the worst day of their life. But generally, they, they never they never see the light of day. And that means that they don't really need to make their own heat. But what, what happens when you don't make your own heat is that you kind of have a low metabolism, you yeah. know? And one thing about rodents, as anyone who has a hamster will know, is that they do not live long. Maybe a year, maybe two years, four years is average for a mouse. How long do you think these rodents live? And they are rodents. Years. I don't know. Rodents. I'm guessing they're 200 years. They don't live 200 years, Henry. They're a fucking rodent. They don't live 200 years. They live 30 years. 30 That's years? Really, They're still pretty big. Really, really weird for a rodent. A lot lot older than we are. And they're tiny. So that's very, very, very weird. And they're also... They, they, one other thing that low metabolism animals can do is they tend to be able to go quite a long time without oxygen, right? Because yeah. they have a low metabolism, so you don't yeah. really need that. So they're good at oxygen deprivation. This is weird. They're surpri- Even considering their metabolism, they're weirdly good at oxygen deprivation. They can survive for at least five hours in only 5% oxygen. And they can survive about 20 minutes with no oxygen. Really weird for a mouse. Yeah. So weird. They, their heart rate drops from about 200 to 50 beats per minute. They can live forever in air that is 20% oxygen and 80% carbon dioxide. So weird. So when researchers first discovered this, they were like, right, okay, they're good at aerobic respiration. That, 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 that's not too weird, right? There are some turtles which can go a long time, like months, without, air, without oxygen. Some other animals that can as well. Naked Mirage is one of those. So what will they probably have? Well, they'll probably have lots of glycogen stores because all these animals that can survive yeah. without oxygen, they store loads of glycogen so they can just break it down. It's a way of storing glucose up and you can yeah. just slowly anaerobically respire it. Blah, yeah, blah, glycogen's blah. a probably... big glucose... 
hub. Yeah, it's a lump of exactly. glucose, basically. It's a lump of glucose. So they probably have some way of, of storing glucose. And they checked and they, they were like, huh, they barely have any glycogen at all. Like an unusually low amount <laughs> nah, of glycogen. Nah, bro. <laughs> no glycogen. Ha- How do you think they get their glucose? Uh, sucrose? Pretty close. I'm, just, I'm, I'm thinking of fructose. So what do you think they do with fructose? They break it down into glucose. Well, they can't break down. Fructose is a five-carbon sugar. Oh, damn. They, what, do they make glucose out of fructose? They just straight up respire fructose. <laughs> <laughs> they just straight up respire what? fructose. What? So they, just, they can. Why are you doing different respiration? <laughs> They're not on Mrs. Gren anymore. Stop doing that. <laughs> You can't just it's opt so out weird. of glucose. It's so they've just they've just said no nah to glucose, and they do <laughs> and they do anaerobic glycolysis using fructose. And people but are why? like, the why reason that, the that? reason that I mean it's not too weird, but the the reason that that doesn't work in people is because that produces an insane amount of lactic acid, loads of lactic acid. And when when people are like, wait a second, lactic acid like kills people. Also, they can live with eighty percent CO two. How are they able to prevent acidosis, which is when you become so acidic from all the carbon, carbonic acid and all the lactic acid that you just corrode yourself? Yeah. As of now, we do not know how they survive acidosis. Do they we have do a really know. high blood p- low blood pH? Is their blood pH like acidic? It is really acidic. They they do experience it, but they somehow survive it. We're not really sure. So, one adaptation that they have done is they basically say, okay. They experience acidosis. They have a lot of carbon dioxide in their body tissues, which causes acid to build up. The way they've dealt with that is they've just evolved pain insensitivity. So they just don't feel pain. They just don't care. They're covered in acid and they just don't care because they nice. evolved not to have pain. Nice. They have no neurotransmitters in their kitchenless fibers. So we, nice. they can't like feel. They basically can't feel any pain. When you like oh. cover them in capsaicin, which is basically chili sauce, and given the fact that they're basically already a bull sack, you'd think that would hurt quite a lot. <laughs> but no, they could not care less. Like, they're just, they're just chilling around, covered in chili uh, sauce. You could just pour Tabasco on the little sods, and they'll just keep digging their little burrows because yeah. they don't notice. But That's hilarious. You could inject them with acid, and they won't care. But what no about... One else knows. They, they, <laughs> the problem with having no pain receptors is that you beat yourself up without noticing it. Well, the thing is, they live on the ground. So Life's they're good. essentially... Life's Gucci. They they essentially just like are constantly borrowing, and so, yeah, there's nothing. Unusual. What are they gonna? There's no stoves, you know. I must say, thirty um, years is a long time to keep going. So, yeah, it is. And you know why? One of the reasons they're really good at going for thirty years. You know what else they're resistant to, Henry? What? <laughs> cancer. How? They're resistant to cancer. Can, you can't opt <laughs> out of glucose and cancer. These are things <laughs> that just <laughs> happen to animals they've... with cells. They've opted out of cancer. They people have watched colonies of naked morons for like many years. No occurrences of cancer ever recorded. They do not get cancer. So there's some theories as to you why mean, they might why they might not get cancer, right? Well, because they one mechanism stay in the shade all day. Is that it? No. Well, that helps probably, but they they do something called contact inhibition really well. They're really good at it. And when it contact all animals kind of do it, when cells start touching each other you slow down the growth. That makes sense. Like if you're having overcrowding and the cells start pushing up against each other, you don't no, want to grow that, do that area really. of your body. They just, they just do that They're, really aggressively. They do that really aggressively. So they have a gene called P16, 
So most animals have P27. They have P27 and P16. And these okay. are genes that prevent cellular reproduction at high density. So they really, 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 um, they really prevent uncontrolled proliferation. So yeah. if you start getting a tumor, it gets really crowded, and they are double, double the whammy of genes that stops that from happening. But another theory, which they, this, they recently, in 2013, they said this is probably the main reason, is because they have a, a, ki- a special kind of hyaluronic acid. Wait, wait, which wait. Is... is that the stuff you put on your skin? Is that face, yes. face skin? That's a skincare acid. That's one of the well, no, basically. So skincare, skincare brands are a bit weird in the sense that they'll just pick a molecule that like you need, and they'll be like, "We have this in our skin cream, therefore it's got life juice in it. Put it on your skin." But like, <laughs> mm. you know, it's not always mm, it's so good. <laughs> Hyaluronic acid, <laughs> life juice, really great for your skin. It's got <laughs> life juices in it. Just put it on your body. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. You know, they 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 have a um, version of hyaluronic acid which is extremely high molecular mass. And so what hyaluronic acid does in your cells generally is it's, like a, it's kind of like a glue. It uh-huh. sits, in, sits in your membrane, and it's like cholesterol kind of, and it helps stick cells together. It does all sorts of stuff. It's actually really useful. It's inside of your fluid, which is between your bones. You use it to thicken. It's like a viscosity agent as well. One other thing it does is it's a signaling chemical. So it's a signaler when, because it's in your cell membranes, there are some proteins on your cells which will detect when there's loads of hyaluronic acid in the area, and they'll be like, "Whoa, we should that's... probably stop reproducing because it seems like there's a lot of cells in this area, right?" Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's one. That's what everyone everyone kind of does that. But making mole rats because they have such a like such a high mass version of hyaluronic acid, it makes them a lot more sensitive, and also it means that the enzymes that break down hyaluronic acid work less well, right? It's this big. There's this big cumbersome extra big acid molecule you can't really get your hand around it the enzymes don't work so you get an accumulation of these so there's way more of them than there is in most cells and that means that when they have the special receptor that tries to figure out when the cells are clumped together they have loads more hyaluronic acid in their area relative to the number of cells so they're getting constantly stimulated they're really sensitive because they have so much of this acid so they they basically turn up the dial and they ramp up the property where you you don't grow when you're already in a high density cell area okay so people okay let me just say people must have been studying mole rats as cures for cancer i mean at the end of all of these papers they have the obligatory sentence of we could probably use this to cure cancer that's why you gave us your grant remember but i haven't actually found a proper group that's actually working on like i mean what exactly would you do like it's kind of just they're lucky that they have this. Can you, you just inject like, hyaluronic acid into the, or, you know, like if you get a, you know. I think you know. I think that kind of works, but the problem with that is that you have the enzyme that breaks it down, right? So maybe uh, they so just break, just they break down. So maybe if you can get their yeah, special high circles. mass version, it's just not so good. Yeah. If you, if you can get the special high mass version of hyaluronic acid and inject that into a tumor, maybe that would help. But I, mean, I imagine they they probably sort of inject a mole rat. <laughs> Get it just get a mole rat. <laughs> yeah. Eat that shit. Just be a, be a mole rat. Is that everything but, on I mole mean, rats? No. No. There's oh. one more, What my favorite thing. And this is good because it ties into my next fact. So the weirdest thing about, definitely the weirdest thing <laughs> about making mole rats is the fact that they are eusocial. I mentioned that, didn't I? Eusociality. Do you know what eusociality is? Okay, let me think. Let me think. 
social. Fuck. I really want to know what it is. You, you'll say it and I'll remember it. So it is essentially what bees do and what hive animals do. Oh, they man. have colonies. And yeah. this is a big, big deal. So hymenopterans, which is the group of insects that includes ants, bees, and wasps, are some of the only social, the only eusocial animals. And yeah. termites do a similar thing as well. And then naked mole rats. Some people argue whether they're eusocial or not, but at least they're evolving eusociality. They, they're getting there. So this is a really big deal. And it means they, they have a queen. Yeah. So the, the queen is about 50 grams. And the average individual is like about 30 grams. So the queen is a decent bit bigger. They yeah, yeah. essentially sit in the middle of the um, burrow and they don't do any work. And they just get given loads of food by the workers who are much smaller. And they all do the tunneling. They'll do the work and they'll, they'll find these tubers, which is what they, they, they essentially eat tubers and they'll bring them back to the female. And then the female produces specialized hormones. There are some epigenetic changes that make the female different. The female produces the babies. So often the workers will eat the feces of the queen, which will allow their, allow their hormones to be shared. There are loads of reasons why the queen is slightly different from the rest of the workers, which is quite crucial to classing them as, as eusocial. And so the queens live about 13 to 18 years. So they don't typically live as long. And they're very, very hostile to any other female that will behave like a queen. So you typically only have one queen. And then yeah, when yeah. they die, you, they get replaced by another female. Um, so it's not exactly the same as, as insects, but God, it's really weird. And they, they have the same um, division of labor. So you'll have some which are like soldiers, slightly bigger, slightly different structure. They'll protect burrows, protecting it from predators, that kind of thing. And you'll have the workers. Workers are sterile, just like females, just like bees. Yeah, yeah. It's really odd. Um, one thing they do, which I think I've told you this before, this is one of my favorite things to say to people ever. I think this is probably the coolest fact I know, and I've definitely told it to you before. It's it's from, I found it quite hard to find the original source for it, but I got I heard it in a lecture, and essentially you have you have these queens, these females who don't do any work for most of the day, and your people wonder, you know, how do they get away with this? And one of their roles, one of the reasons they're useful for the colony, is during the flooding season. When the burrows start to flood, the they larger the females, hole. they reverse backwards into the hole and they plug it with their ass. And that's one of the reasons it's useful for the workers <laughs> to have these big fat females lying around. You should make a Disney movie out of this. She got bullied and picked on and she was made fun of. You're the fat naked rat roll person. <laughs> Whatever. You're fat and ugly and dumb and no one likes you. And then the flooding season came. And this is like act three of the movie, right? She yeah, plugs yeah. the hole, saves all of the citizens of Rat Town. And Christmas. They all love her. It's Christmas. And so it's she Christmas. gets fed lots of food and is kept extra fat for the next season. And that's how it starts. Oh, yeah. They give her loads of figgy pudding and they have like a big hat. Oh, it's that's the big one. And then, and then they, you know, have, you know, make lots of babies. Yeah. I mean, if that's how you sociality got kickstarted in mole rats, maybe it's that, maybe it's something to do with sterility because in bees, People tend to the reason that eusociality works because you think, oh, if I'm a female bee, why am I trying to help the queen? I want to leave copies of my genes, so I'm just going to have my own babies, right? The reason it works is it only works when you are related to your sisters just as much as you're related to your own children. 
So the thing is, when the queen, when the queen, (laughs) the queen only mates once in her life, she'll keep the sperm and she'll lay loads of identical females. Now, if you're a female, there's something called kin selection, where like if you're a person, you want to save your brothers because genetically they share some of your some of your genes. So you want to save your brothers or sisters, or and you kind of want to save your cousins, but not as much. So you know you are motivated sometimes, sometimes even to give up your own life to save the lives of those who share your genes. And this is taken to the extreme in bees. So if you're a bee, it's just as useful to save two of your sisters than it is to have two kids yourself because they're all clones of you. Yeah. Right. They would they would even share more of your DNA than your children would if you mated with someone else. Yeah. yeah. So suddenly it becomes beneficial to die for the colony. Yeah. Right? yeah. Whereas and and you it's been hypothesized that you need female monogamy. You need the queen only to breed with one male in order for this to work because otherwise you don't even know if they are sister or they are half sister and suddenly it breaks down. Yeah. But the thing is, making moral rats haven't really evolved. I mean, they kind of have evolved monogamy, but it probably isn't what kickstarted it. So maybe there's something else going on. But yeah, yeah, making moral rats the weirdest mammal. They were voted vertebrate of the year in 2013. I just um, saw a thing. Yeah. On naked mole rats, which might add to your thing. I don't know Go if you read this. Um, apparently, uh, in a colony of naked mole rats, right? The pop mm-hmm. vocalizations is a big way of uh, because they don't have eyes, right? Yeah. So the way they listen to pups, which is the new babies, apparently they stop listening to them so much. And one of the ways that the queen makes them listen to them more is because they eat the queen's poo. (laughs) And in the queen's poo, there's more of this chemical called estradiol. And estradiol Mm -hmm. concentration, Mm -hmm. basically, when that goes up, it means they pay more attention to their pups. Yeah. Yeah. That's the cool (laughs) one. There's, I mean, there's loads of facts that I don't have time. They eat the queen's poop. Yeah, so the queen basically shits out these special like potions of of hormone, which make the workers feel what she wants them to feel. So at certain <laughs> times of the year, she'll poo out. Sam, you got to explain these, man. You got, I got to know all these, man. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So at certain times of the year, they, they poo out more stress hormone, so the workers feel more stress and they they borrow more. Who started that? That's a different Disney it's, movie. It's like it's like communication. Instead of the queen being like. Hey, can you do this? She'll just poo, and they'll eat the poo, and it'll control their mind. Yeah. Wait. So at the end it's, of the Disney movie, after it's Christmas, and she plugged the hole, and everyone starts feeding her, one guy <laughs> poo. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about the Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of that. Kind of ruined now, Sam. You kind of ruined the movie. <laughs> ruined this sort of honeymoon. It's period. part of their social behavior. behavior. Now it's, it's no longer cool. They're just really ingenuitive. You know, they're just really, they're just smart. Mm. And also, it, it, that's one of the ways they make them sterile. So the queen will poo out poo that will make everyone who eats it sterile. So, you know. Oh, this is so weird. They are weirder than platypus. You're right. Who cares about them having eggs and a little spike under their waddle, their waddle paddle? Exactly. That's that's my fact done. I think. That's what We've it takes. One minute left. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, Thanks, I'm Sam. happy. I'm happy. Right, You're bye. welcome. Um, this is topical, I suppose. Uh, okay. Um, IUDs. Um, <laughs> IUDs. Okay. Intra- yeah, that's topical. Um, intrauterine devices. Sam knows what they are. Wow, Sam, what's a what's an IUD? Um, well, it's something that you put inside of your uterus in order to 
prevent yourself from getting pregnant usually yeah yeah and how far does your knowledge of ieds go because i'm assuming it ends um, close to there. it ends pretty close to there from what i know from people who have it it's reasonably painful sometimes but not all the time um it's you, you have to like they often have like copper or some weird metal in right. them that like works and so actually there's two different types of intrauterine device. There's there's a copper one right, that you right. can get and there's one which is I mean they've experimented with zinc and but but but, but they, they the ones you can get you got a choice between copper or uh hormonal. Hormonal Ooh. makes sense because hormonal's just a small receptacle that's in a T shape that you put in your uterus and it slowly releases progesterone generally. Yeah, copper feels that, really cool that, though. It feels really I'll get to the copper. I'll get to the copper. Um, it feels really cyborg. <laughs> Anyway, so the 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 the, the hormone release one uh, basically it increases the thickness of the uterus mucus basically by re- you know locally releasing a lot of uh, progesterone, so your uterus mm-hmm. thickens up. It can also affect your menstrual cycle and sort of suppress ovulation, which is of course mm-hmm. happening in the uh, egg making machines on the side. Um, so so it can stop the egg from even coming to the uterus or it can create such a thick uterus lining that the egg can't implant the right. copper one is much cooler though yeah because it the, the hormone stuff is cool just because hormones are chemical that your body responds to and it does hormone stuff Ooh. right but that's nothing Ooh. new to us the copper stuff is cool because what it does is it slowly releases copper ions into solution inside the uterus right and now these copper cool. ions do multiple things they can kill sperm and they can also stop sperm from performing, uh, I guess, the, I don't know, what is it called? The, it's an acrosomal mechanism. So the Ooh. sperm oh, can right. no longer use its acrosomal proteins to break through the shell of the egg. Interesting. So at that point in the thing, it, 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 it stops being able to drill into the egg. And Was it an enzyme inhibitor? Um, you, you're hitting my biology you know, the end of my biology knowledge i did research okay. this a lot and there's a surprisingly small amount of stuff about the actual specific mechanism but there are okay. papers that look into it but the problem with all of this is the papers just go when we used copper at this concentration we had zero percent egg penetration and you go great that's so cool <laughs> what it does sam if i can just find the page i had open that was good uh, it's basic. Okay, so what it does is it, it 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 interferes with the mitochondria. It's the main mechanism by which it does it, and it does okay. that through. I had a list. Where's my list? I mean, it won't be particularly okay. interesting to listen to, but it's it's a set of proteins and mechanisms that happen inside the mitochondria. Co- a large copper concentration can affect that. Um, what do you think, Sam? Do you want to Google it? No, I, I well, okay. I, I would guess. I mean, metal ions are often cofactors of certain enzymes, so I'd imagine it somehow screws up certain enzymes, um, probably enzymes that are involved in the electron transport chain or something, which means that you can't, mitochondria can't make energy, which means sperm can't move. There we go. But The main thing is I saw primarily that it was was having a really significant effect on the, uh, yeah, like you said, the mobility of the the sperm. They call it motility for some reason. Um, But also the acrosomal penetration is, is 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 that that's not the word it's acrosomal something they're acrosomal well, proteins it's the, the, solution, it's, the, it's, the, it's the it's the acid solution they have in their head that they use to chew yeah, yeah, yeah. 
what's cool about it is it's exocytosis so it's the same you this is obviously not news to you but it, it's news to me it's the same mechanism that's used in this intersynapse um joints where you have mm-hmm. a little balloon that smushes against a wall of a you know <laughs> gap between two cells and then there's a protein mechanism that throws it through the wall right yeah but the same thing happens but with, yeah it's not it's not an acid on the head of the sperm it's a protein setup that throws the sperm through into the egg, right? Or it throws yeah, the nucleus. They, they, they attach and then the, the DNA basically like mm-hmm. yeah, merges through. Thing is, a oh. high copper concentration locally can stop it kills sperm by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And it also makes eggs infertile by themselves. Basically, if you copper both of them, you're gonna have no pregnancy, right? If you copper one so of them, you're it... likely not gonna have a pregnancy either. Okay. I have a question now. If, I mean, this is cool, but it, so if it attacks mitochondria, why doesn't it just kill your cells and cause like necrosis? That's a very good point. I don't know why isn't it why isn't it dangerous? I mean, I mean, it does hurt. Maybe it's just killing cells, but just IUDs that also contain gold and silver also exist. Gold. Yeah. Oh my god, that's bougie. I hate everything. It's always talking about oh, it just. This is. I should stop researching periods because every time I do, it's always how to get help. How to get help? What if you're pregnant? You have pain in your uterus. No. Why does copper <laughs> kill sperm? No, but what if I did? <laughs> Why would that be? <laughs> Why? Just type in copper. Oh, okay. Do you, do you want me to? I, I, yeah. I could research this. Copper kills sperm. Why? And now the whistling section. Um, thing is, I'll definitely be reading the same shit you are. <laughs> Apparently, uh, it's like Netflix for your uterus. That's what. That's what. That's one description of an IUD I'm seeing. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't understand what it means. What it does will that keep mean? Up to it's 10 Netflix years for it's your uterus. Ten years. Yeah, I know. Ten years is good. What does that mean, though? I have no idea. It has a ninety-nine percent effective. Sam, rate, I know this. I thought I thought everyone less knew than this. one in a hundred women. Wait, so one in a hundred women just get pregnant, and the baby's like. Yeah, here's the thing with contraception. The baby's Sam. like a robot. You can be contracepted, right? But unless you've actually had like a, what's it called, a hysterectomy, where you've removed your is it uterus is it removed in a hysterectomy? What's removed in a hysterectomy? I don't know. Ask, ask someone who doesn't Surgical, remove do the uterus. That. There we go. It removes the uterus. I was right, but I was mm. scared that I would be wrong. It's a hysterectomy. Unless you've removed I the decided uterus, not to commit. there's not a 100% uh-huh. chance that you're not going to get pregnant. You can always just get pregnant and the baby's there. We've hit another limit of science. It's amazing how limited science is, Sam. If you don't look at science, if you don't read science, you go, wow, we know everything. And then you start looking up stuff you know, in the creepy little corners that no one asks for, like an IUD. Like we, everyone uses IUDs apart from men. And <laughs> everyone there, yeah, everyone, everyone knows what they are, but you don't know how they work. Why do we, I might have to get my mum on this. You're going to get your mum. That feels like cheating. A bit of Jenny. <laughs> Sam, I need the cheat sheet. Okay. I'll be right you can't, back. You can't get your facts from your smart mum. Shut the fuck up. I can't. Right. 
It's a valid. <laughs> this isn't. The, this isn't a competition, Sam. This is us making content for the world. Okay. And my mum is your good content. Making, we all know your mum is good content. Just because I'm not. Just because I'm not living at It's home. a quote that I will put in the next series three trailer. A bit of Henry's mum is always good for a, crucial for a good podcast. You said. Crucial. Oh, that's true. I do want this to be a good podcast. Right. Let's go. Go get go get her. Are you going to call her? Where are you? Are you at home? Oh well. Bye then. He's gone. We're still recording though, so you know you get to hear. Unfiltered picket. See, I can see, I can see the paper that tells me the answer. It's just a question of of reading it. Here we go, boys. Oh, it's a book. Oh my god, it's a whole book. I'm not going to request the PDF of that book. Sam. Yes, Henry. This is unprecedented. Do we have her? My mum said, no, my mum said, I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, God. <laughs> We're fucked. We're all fucked. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I think we know there is well. an effect, but why is there an effect? What's it, it, it do? It, this, I, I bet people haven't figured it out yet. You know what? Is it going to help us if we know which enzyme? Like, I, I mean, it's going to be one of the ones in the mitochondria. And there are a lot of those. You know? That's a lot of, this is, a lot this of enzymes. Is the most interesting, this isn't the most interesting part of the fact, I guess. Copper the seed, Wikipedia page says around. a surprising number of really weird things. What's the, what's the official medical term for a woman who's never had a child? Um... A woman who's never had a child. Uh, a nulliparous woman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Every day is a school day. Every day is a fucking school day. Especially can, in this. You, you can get T-shaped, U-shaped, frameless, spherical. You can get, you can get a spherical one. Yeah, oh, you but... attach it to a thread. Yeah, no, that's so you can check on it. Oh, the diagram is looks like a pogo stick. <laughs> I've never seen an IED before. <laughs> I, really, I sort of Just imagine them as like massive, like, like mechs. I'm going to read oh. things about their history. According to popular legend, traders inserted small stones into the uteruses of their camels to prevent pregnancies during long treks. The story is is not true. Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> this story. Not true. This <laughs> is not true. Like the, the next sentence isn't just now. Ernst Griefenberg, another German physician, after whom the G spot is named. What? It's named after a dude. Ernst Griefenberg. <laughs> Ernst Griefenberg. Wait a second. I can see it. I can see his name here. Yeah, his work was suppressed during the Nazi no. regime. Yeah, it's a dude. It is. That's incredible. It's the it's it's the Grafenberg spot. <laughs> it's Grafenberg. Oh my Grafenberg. god, that's so good. Gra- Grafenberg. Because it's got the, the, Graf- on the, <laughs> the, the Grafenberg spot. Oh my god. And uh, he stated, hmm. and I quote: "Should we say it together, Henry? 
who says an erotic zone. Erotic zone always could be could demonstrated on the anterior wall of the vagina, along the course of the urethra. Get that in the trailer. That's where it is. Okay. Wait. Wait a second. Sam, this is a much deeper question. I don't know if it's fit for this this podcast. Uh-huh. But, you know, off the... <laughs> what do they say? What do they say? Off air, out of the public zone. What's, it? What's the word? Off the record. Off the record. There we go. <laughs> out of the public Off the record, zone, it yeah. says, his studies of the role of the woman's urethra in orgasm. Sam, mm-hmm. is squirt pee... Um. No, it's not. Right. I don't How know do what know? it is though. <laughs> Different color. Do you like Google it? I I mean I will if you would. Oh, <laughs> Sam, it is. The main component <laughs> of squirt is urine. Wait, oh. really? Yeah, it, contains, oh, it also oh. contains Skeen's, uh, fluid from Skeen's glands, which is the female prostate. Oh, my God. The majority oh, thank of God it for is that. It's yeah. urine. Thank you, Skeen's gland. This can't be released. This can't be released. This the public released. can't find this out. This the is public can't know. That we die with they this don't, secret. They don't deserve to, some facts too good. Oh, God. This was supposed to be hard science, and it just turned into the fact that squirt is pee. Yeah, but that's definitely a better fact than copper IUDs existing. <laughs> pee. Yes. Oh, it is. All right. Well, okay. thank you. That was. Thank you for joining us. I opening. <laughs> squirt pod. <laughs> squirt pod. It would be a short podcast. Honestly, Sam, I don't know why I've not Googled it earlier. I think I knew the answer already. That was why I never Googled it. <laughs> I already knew. You didn't want to be... Oh, we, all, we always knew. Look, look, look. Literally, the, the is squirt pee. The top line is, the main component of squirt fluid is urine. Full stop. And by main, we mean 100%. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Oh, well. Cool. Fact over? Yeah. Oh God! One last one, just to end the day. I don't know how many episodes we've made today, but we've we've recorded six individual facts. Sam's ones have taken significantly longer than mine. Sorry about uh, that. But a little birdie told us. I say a little birdie. It, it's my sister. She's five ten. She's pretty big for a girl. But um, uh, one of her school friends, <laughs> apparently unprovoked, oh, yeah. came up oh, yeah. to her. And I think it's Alice. Hopefully, it's Alice. Okay. Uh, came Hopefully up to her Alice. unprovoked and said your brother does a podcast could you ask them to do a small little section on why uh oil on water creates rainbows and you know that says it all because it's it's just a really nice thing to think about that's made us i think i can speak for both of us really happy oh oh yeah oh yeah extremely happy Requests. Uh, Our first can we request. just can we just I mean it's more than that for us really. I mean it just says that we've actually inspired someone else to think about stuff that people don't usually think about, and that's a really big deal. 
well, yeah. No, okay. I mean, I mean, who cares? No, about I'm, I'm with you. I'm so. with you. Yeah, no, don't get desperate. But yeah. I remember. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not desperate. I'm just saying. I'm. We don't need don't you. Know. Okay. It could make me cry. Okay. <laughs> I'm really fucking happy about that. I'm not joking. <laughs> anyway, it's a thing. It's a thing called thin film interference, and it's a good question really? actually because it's it's to do with it's GCSE science technically. Um, with a little oh, bit of A level science, I guess you could add into it. Uh, I, I forget which where the where the boundaries are between GCSE and A level. You know, I'm so far beyond that now. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay, so it's a thing called thin film interference, and you see it not just with oil slicks on water, but anything where you've got two immiscible things where one creates a really thin layer on top of the other and is generally a fluid because with fluids, you end up with differences in refractive indexes that that lead up to these properties. A refractive index is um, basically how much it slows down the light as it passes through a material. I mean, you know this, Sam, but if, if you... If you've got something with a really high refractive index it really really slows down the the light as it passes through the material and if you've got something with a low refractive index down to one it means it it, it travels at the speed of light uh, in a vacuum in that material and air's got a refractive index of about one so air is pretty much the same as a vacuum uh, where there's no material um water is about 1.33 and uh i think oil's like 1.4 um, and what you have is as light comes from the air, white light, let's say from the sun, comes from the air, hits the oil layer, what it does is it refracts. And that means it slows down because the oil is denser than the air. It's got a refractive index of 1.4 as opposed to 1. And so that means that because it slows down, it does a, it curves slightly. And there's lots of different explanations for this. There's some quantum mechanical ones, but uh, I think we'll just... The one which I loved describing previously in a in a research process uh, project I did in A level was um, when it when it when it hits a, a material which has got electrons in it like oil uh, it oscillates the electrons and they create their own wave and what happens is it superposes with that wave and superposition is something we'll come to later but superposition or would come to it now superposition is where you've got two waves if you think of water waves if you push one wave of water and it's traveling along and then you push a second wave over it the two waves add together and so you get double the sloshness because you've put two waves into each other right um so so that happens again with light if you think of a light wave oscillating if you put another light wave on top of it it's going to oscillate with twice the height right Mm-hmm. so so in the case of uh electrons electron uh waves created by incident light is you have light coming in creates uh maybe i'm getting a bit too detailed for alice here anyway the light slows down and the, the end result of that is that the the light bends away from the normal to the surface and the normal is a perpendicular imaginary line through the surface and what you have also is a reflection at the top of the surface because every single time something passes from one surface to another surface, you get a little bit of reflection. Mm-hmm. That's just a product of something. It, so, it's, so with something where it's very transparent, then you get very little reflection, but you'll still get a little bit. It'll be like maybe 1% reflection, 3% reflection, something like that. And then you have 90%, let's say, passes through. What happens to that 90% is it hits then the water layer that's or the, the layer of something else that's below this oil layer, the water layer, mm-hmm. right? And what happens then is the light bounces off the water layer and it comes straight back out again. It reflects off the water layer. Some of it goes into the water. Some of it reflects off the water layer in the same way, right? 
And now you've got the light that initially bounced off the uh, top layer of oil and the light that bounced off the water layer between the oil and the water. The mm-hmm. boundary between air and water is reflection, and the boundary between oil and water has a reflection. And these two waves superpose with each other. Uh, right? right. And the key part right, is right, right. the thickness of the oil film, i.e., the distance that the light that went through the oil travels when compared to the light that didn't travel through the oil and reflected at the start. Mm-hmm. If that's on the order of a, a multiple of a half wavelength of the light that passes through it, it means right. that the uh, the two waves, when they meet with each other again, the, the reflected one against the water and the reflected one against the oil, when they touch each other again, they can cancel each other out. What's interesting right. about this is that surely this means that if you've got a bit of a thin layer of oil on a thin on a thick layer of water, if the oil's a constant thickness all the way across, then when you shine monochromatic light, i.e. light of one color or one wavelength on it, You'll get the same uh, light coming out, uh, but either it will be, let's say, it'll go dark or it will be completely bright, depending on the angle that you put the light through. The interesting thing is, is that sunlight is white, which means it's a combination of all colors of light. So what happens when you put a white source and the sun, the sun's far enough away that the white light's collimated. So they all come in in a column, which means they're all traveling parallel to each other. Um it comes down and it hits the oil layer. Some of it reflects back and then it goes through the oil layer. The rest of it goes through the oil layer, hits the water layer. And then some of it reflects back again. Both of those reflected beams add together, superpose. So their amplitudes add and subtract to different points, depending on the thickness of the oil layer, i.e. how much extra time it took the second wave to reach the first wave again. And then that determines which, which colors are deleted and which colors are not deleted. At, that means at some points, at some angles, the distance of oil that the light has to pass through is a multiple of a half wavelength of, let's say, red light. And that means that the red light gets deleted. And at a different angle, because it's different thicknesses and red light has a different wavelength from green light, um, at a different angle, it'll travel a different distance. And so the green light will get deleted. It'll, it'll, it'll have destructive interference. And so that means at different angles, you have different colors of light being removed from the spectrum of the white light, which mm-hmm. means that if you shine a pure white light onto something which has got a thin film on the top with a varying refractive index, that means that at different angles around from that white light source, when it reflects back at you, it will be a rainbow color because you'll have different levels of uh, destructive interference depending on the thickness of the lens at different points. That's cool because... That means in certain oil slicks, what you end up with is, interestingly, not lines of rainbow. So when you get rainbow with rain, because it all sort mm-hmm. of the thickness all sort of averages out because the raindrops all fall in a sort of even way, you get a, a Roy G. Biv, right? You get a line of red, you get a line of orange, you get a line of yellow, and so on and so forth, right? But with oil slicks, you get these things called eddies, or in bubbles, you get these things called eddies. And that's because the bubble thickness varies across the the, the length of the oil slick or the bubble. Um, it, it swishes and it swirls due to surface tension. Actually, I find that a lot of, surprising. There's a lot of stuff to do with the Marangoni effect, which leads into the coffee ring effect, which we've described previously. Oh. Um, so these eddies are determined by lots of surface 
surface tension phenomena like the Marangoni effect. And because of this variation in the thickness of the oil, A, and the angle at which the light's coming in, this white light, right? You get these sort of swishy, swirly rainbows. So if you were to actually create an even surface of oil over an even surface of water and not disturb it, not shake it about at all, right? Keep it perfectly even and then shine a perfectly collimated light, you would get a nice orderly rainbow. But because it's not even and because it's disturbed and all messed up, you don't get a nice orderly rainbow and you get these sort of wonderful, beautiful rainbow patterns called eddies. Mm-hmm. It's cool because um, you see it on all sorts of stuff. I'm really happy you brought it up, actually, Alice. Um, it just needs okay, to be why... something that has uh, initial reflective surface that also refracts some of the light that passes through it and then a second reflective surface below. And I think that's really common with oil, but it, you know, you see it a lot. Do you know why you don't get it with just water and anything? Like, why don't you get it on like a wet mirror? Why don't you get it with a wet mirror? Um, let me think about that. That's a good question. I, I, I'm tempted to say there's no reason why it shouldn't. I'm tempted to say it does. It does. Yeah. This, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, maybe it's just like it has to be a really thin film. Um. I'm really happy I looked into that actually because that's got quite a nice explanation. I've never thought about that's, that before. That's yeah. I mean, I, I think if you'd asked me why what happens with oil and water, I probably could have like kind of reasoned that through. Yeah. But also that it has more to it than I expected. I guess thinking yeah. about it, it is actually quite complicated. Yeah. I mean, I only know about thin film interference because it's a similar way to structural pigmentation on butterflies and and certain animals. They 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 sometimes have like small hairs which can capture certain wavelengths of light but not other ones and that can provide something like a thin film yeah the dream that we have i think i speak for both of us the dream that we have is to try and push this idea that the stupid stuff holds so much valuable information and it's worth considering the mechanisms behind things that aren't you know immediately interesting because it's, it's all very well and good to be inspired by someone doing nuclear fusion. But I, I always go back to coffee rings. Like the, the mechanism to build a lot of fuel cells nowadays was learned from someone I, looking at why coffee stains dry into darkly edged rings. Yeah. It starts there, I guess. I don't know. That's and that's the, why it's so yeah, exciting yeah. to hear someone else asking us a question which is immediately like oh whatever who cares about oil and water yeah that's true when you like when you started i remember when you like i think the substandard model was born out of your youtube attempts which was just sort of like simple things that seem like they would have a dumb explanation but actually could be applied to anything and it reveals that like the physics of one thing is the physics of another yeah oh you put it nicely there thanks no yeah (laughs) The physics of one thing is indeed the physics of another because it's all physics. Thanks, Alice. Thanks, Alice. Bye. You bye. Made me really happy. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Sam. All right. Should we de- dedicate this to Alice? Uh, no, that was weird when we did that with Austin. Never again. Just say it thanks. It was Alice. weird, wasn't it? Oh, poor Austin. All right. Th- thanks, Alice. And thank you, everyone else who has listened yeah, to the thanks. Substandard Model. You're listening to The Substandard Model. 